0: silencing my every fear sir
1: Verses 8 through 12. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ of Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Let us pray. Father, we come before you, God, and we thank you that you have given us your spirit. God, that this same spirit, that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that raised him from the grave, God, that resurrected him is now in our lives resurrecting us. God, that we give you praise for that. God, that you have breathed your life into our souls, into our beings, God. God, and we thank you that you are in the business. God, that you are mindful of us and you heal us down to our very spirits, God. God, that you want to heal us from the inside out, God, that you have given us your spirit. God, that we may be strengthened, that we may be encouraged. God, that we may have new life, from the ashes, from the places that we've been, God, where we were left empty, left without hope, God, that you have given us a living hope, who is Jesus Christ, God. So we lift that name on high. We lift that name that gives us salvation, that we have salvation in no other name, that we look around, God, and we may feel like we're hopeless in our circumstances, our situations. God, we look around in the world today, and we see that it seems like the light is growing dimmer and dimmer, God. God, just help us keep our eyes on the one true light, the one place we do have salvation, and that is in Christ alone. God, so be with us this morning. God, just give us the ears to hear what you are speaking. God, just help us to be still. God, just to calm our minds, calm our spirits that we would hear from you. God, we love you, and we praise you. It's in Christ, and we pray all of these things. Amen. As we're singing the songs, I'm just thinking about the
2: praise scriptures in Psalm. Psalm 150, Psalm 149, it says it's good for his people to praise him in the assembly. Like, we get together for the purpose of praising and worshiping God. To praise God is to make a big deal about God. We make a big deal about our football teams when they're winning. Not when they're not winning, like mine yesterday, but typically when we're winning, right? We jump up, we yell, we celebrate, um, we, we make a big deal of the victory and of their you know advancing down the field. And how much more worthy is God of our praise than a football team? The King of kings, the Lord of lords, we should praise him in the sanctuary, out of the sanctuary. Our radio should be cranked up in praise. He says lying on your bed, you should be praising God because he's worthy of praise this morning. Well, as I was praying about today, I thought I needed to teach this message this morning called Finding Contentment. And the reason for that is because we are getting into the season where we're going to be tempted to kind of fear away from contentment towards discontentment. Um, It is the season of discontentment for many people. You know what it is, right? When you're discontent, it's Looking at things that you don't have, and you focus on those things, and you pine after, or you long after those things. And if we're not careful, because we're supposed to be people who are thankful, and we're supposed to be content, Hebrews tells us that, right? We're supposed to be a content people during this season, like Thanksgiving's around the corner, and right after that, we go into the season of giving. We go into the season of, you know, bumping shoulders and elbows with people in the stores trying to find that perfect gift for someone, or maybe you're writing a list of all the things that you want, and and so we're really focused on consuming stuff. Someone has said, Thanksgiving Day is about being thankful for, and Thanksgiving night at Black Friday, it's like, I want more. And that's the season that we're in. But as followers of Christ, we are to be content in all things. Hebrews thirteen five says, keep your life free from the love of money. Let's just say stuff. Because I think that applies as well, right? He says from the love of money, but I think we could say the love of stuff, the love of the things that we don't have as well. He says, and be content. <sighs> you know what content is? It's self-satisfied. It means being thankful for what you got. Like, I don't need anything else. Everything's great. I'm content. He says, be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So as followers of Christ, going through this season where we could, if we're not careful, fall prey to this discontent attitude, how do we find contentment? And I think we need to find it because if we're not careful, we can get so distracted by the things around us that we can lose it. And so to share that just for a few moments, let's talk about finding contentment. How many of you remember, now I'm going to date myself here, but how many of you remember the old J.C. Penney catalogs that used to get mailed to the house? Right? Okay, kids. Before the internet, we got books mailed to our house. J.C. Penney, different things like that, Sears. We didn't care as kids about Sears because it was tools and stuff, but J.C. Penney was cool because it had a little toy section in it. And I remember as a little boy when the J.C. Penney Christmas edition came out. It was like this big. It felt like it as a little boy, right? This huge catalog, and we couldn't wait to sit down in front of that. We didn't care about tools, clothes, and all that stuff, jewelry, perfumes. We went straight to the toy section, and we started looking after the things that we would want for Christmas. Now, a side note, I was raised in a poor family. We didn't have a lot of money. There was a lot of things that we didn't get to have, but it didn't stop me from wanting and I might have been content before that awareness of my uncontentness was, was, was put in front of me, right? Before I realized there were things in my life that I didn't have and I really needed them. And so I remember going through that little catalog and circling things. Ooh, I want that. I need that. Oh, I want that too, right? And we would just make this list and I would give that list to mom and dad like oblivious to the fact that none of it was going to come my way. Like, I want this stuff. I need this stuff. And I remember on Christmas morning waking up and opening the presents, and it was stuff that I probably needed, but we couldn't afford. And so none of the things that I desperately wanted in that little catalog came to me. And all of you say, oh, that's where you say, oh. But I mean, I just remember how disappointed I was. And I kind of copped an attitude. I'm like walking around just sullen and, you know, lip out a little bit. And like, what's wrong? I didn't get what I wanted. And I was like, discontent. You know, I was content before that, but then I became aware of the things that I didn't have, and I became discontent. I would like to say that that goes away when we grow up. How many of you go on Amazon, and you're shopping, and it says, Customers who bought this also bought this. Right? You know what I'm talking about? they like, you might be interested in this, or you're on Facebook, and something pops up that you and your wife were talking about yesterday. You're like it's like they're listening to us. They are. And these little things pop up and you're like, "Ooh, I really need that in my life." And we get so consumed on the things that are that are there in front of us when we can become aware of all these things that we don't have. And it just I think it affects every one of us and yet we're supposed to be a content people as followers of Christ living in this world with contentment like, "Hey, you know what? I'm good." god's good i've got everything i need and i'm supposed to be content and all of a sudden i find myself discontent because i don't have what i want what i didn't have before and i'd like to say we grew out of it as i said but the other day i gotta be honest bill and i were in the same property and his brother-in-law has this truck and they were moving it out of the way for some contractors and i'm like give me the keys i'll move it and i drive a 2017 chevrolet it's pretty cool truck y'all it's nice but i get in in kevin's truck and I remember starting it up, and, oh, it sounds good, and it's a newer one. And I, I move it forward, and then I look to the rearview mirror to see if I was out of the way, only it wasn't a rearview mirror. It was a TV. Like, the mirror is a TV, like an HD quality. The camera's on the back of the cab, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> right? And, and then I'm thinking, you know, I didn't know that that was even a possibility until I saw it. And guess what happens? I get in my truck a few minutes later, and I'm like, well, no, just a mirror. We all do that, don't we? And so being content in this season of discontent as we get closer and closer to the the, the holiday season and these things that we want, and we get so wrapped up in. And and if we're not careful, they can steal our joy. They can keep us from being the people that God wants us to be. And I just think it's important for us to uh, remind ourselves that we are to be a content people, to find contentment in the midst of these days. And so Paul, the apostle, writes this letter to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And he's he's writing to Timothy to encourage him, but also to um, tell him he's got a job to do. So he leaves Timothy in this little town called Ephesus. And Ephesus had some problems. There were people that were teaching things that were not true to doctrine. And so these false teachers were there, and they were creeping into the church. And so he's telling Timothy how to deal with them. And then towards the end of this first letter in chapter 6, he touches on this idea of contentment. You see, there were people that were ministering, and they were doing it as a way of gain. They thought, hey, man, this ministry thing's cool, and a show of godliness means that I can get rich from doing it. This is why I have a problem with the health, wealth, and prosperity message that's preached from so many pulpits today, because it's not about what we can get out of it, because we're already richly blessed in heaven, right? We have this inheritance that's waiting on us, and our best life now. You're like, no, 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 Jesus doesn't teach that, and so... Just like in our day, it was the same thing in Paul's day, and he's warning Timothy about the need to remain content. And so I want to share with you what contentment is. So contentment is, um, as I said earlier, the state of being mentally or emotionally satisfied with the things that you have. So I asked you the question this morning. Seriously, are you content? As you consider your, your lot in life, your car, I mean, How many are like, hey, i got eight-foot ceilings, and I want 10-foot ceilings? I've got a 2017, but I want a 2022. i got the iPhone, whatever the latest one is now, but I need the next one. And isn't it crazy how we go to the store, and we buy the brand-new one because we finally upgraded, and two weeks later they say, oh, yeah, there's a new one coming out in a month. And you're like, man, I'm already committed in the contract or whatever. And it just seems like there's always opportunities for us to be aware of the things that we don't have, and so there's a need for us to be content in all things. And so let's look at this passage of Scripture. We'll read it, we'll pray, and we'll share a few observations. Verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich... Fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. But you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Look down at verse 17. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud or arrogant and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Aren't you glad that he richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment? It says, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Let's pray. Father, I ask that in this moment right now that you would speak to us through your word. Your word is always relevant. Your word is always alive. It's practical and it speaks to us in our situations today and, and I just ask that you would speak to us and help us to have that mentality today to guard our heart against this discontentment to be a people who are genuinely content with what you've done for us and, and who we are in life and Father I pray that you would just open our eyes to, to that truth today um, and let us stand on it and I humbly ask it in Jesus name. Amen. So. Discontent comes when our awareness is redirected. Last week I talked about being distracted, is when your attention is diverted. It's kind of the same thing, but your awareness becomes redirected. You're going through life and you're content. Things are great. You know the the, the vehicle you drive, the house you live in, and the job that you have, the amount of money that comes through the the, the door. You know you're you're content, and then you become aware or that awareness is redirected, and it usually happens extremely um, and abundantly more during this time of the year, right? With all the sales things, I mean, the emails that drop, the Facebook ads, the stuff that comes through your mailbox, and it just seems like everywhere we turn, like the picture is the, the forest. You can't see the forest for the trees. There's just a lot of distractions out there. And so our awareness becomes redirected, and we can become... And when we get discontent, we start wanting those things that we don't have. And we start longing after those things rather than being content. And so in the case here, he's talking about wealth. He's talking about money. But I'm going to take the liberty and expand that a little bit more because it's not always about money. Sometimes it's just about stuff. Sometimes it's about the way we look, right? You see people that, and I'm not knocking this, some for medical reasons, but for others, it's like, I don't like the way I look. I think I'll go to the doctor, and there's places that you can fix that stuff, right? Or I, I don't like this about my life. I'm going to fix it, and we just do this and that. And But in this case, he's talking about rich and being rich or this desire to be rich or becoming wealthy. And so here's, here's what it does. Here's what that focus on the things that we don't have does. Number one, it ignores what true gain is. So listen to what he says. Yet true godliness, say true, because this is key here. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Paul's telling Timothy that godliness with contentment is great. The word great in the Greek is megas. We get mega millions or mega money and all that stuff, mega rich. He said it's great gain, it's great wealth. Godliness with contentment. Now notice the verse preceding that in verse 5. He's talking about these people, these ones that have, that have taught the bad doctrines and all that stuff. And they themselves, he said they're corrupt. They've turned their backs on the truth. To them a show of godliness, not true godliness, but a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. And so that might have been alluring to them. And at times like, man, this is working for them and they're getting wealthy. This show of godliness is a form of, of wealth. And he says, wait, wait, wait. Don't ignore what true wealth is, because godliness with contentment is true gain. Do you know that this morning? That godliness with contentment—that self-satisfaction—that I have all I need, and God provides all that I need. Those two together, He considers great, megas, great gain, and great wealth. And so, true godliness. What is godliness? Well, it's simply godlikeness righteousness, piety, where we're trying to live our lives in a way that honors God. We look at the scriptures and we say, God, I want to live it according to your standard, your word, living according to that godliness, God-likeness, that we're to be like God in our, our families and our culture, right? So godliness together with contentment is great gain. And so when we focus on the things that we don't have, we focus on the wealth and we get all tied up in that, it ignores what is the true gain. We're putting our sights on something that is not true gain. The second thing it does is it focuses on only on the temporal. Notice the next verse. It says in verse 7, After all, here's a news flash for us. We brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we, can take, we can't take anything with us when we leave. So when we came into this earth and this world, buck naked, had nothing to offer anyone, we had plenty of value then, didn't we? I mean, somebody loved us. We had all this value. We came into the world with nothing. We had none of it. And then he says, and we're going to leave the world the same way. You've heard it said that you never see a hearse hauling a U-Haul. Now, I've seen the pictures on the Internet, and it's not true. Somebody making fun of that comment. But the, the reality is we can't take it with us when we go. So the problem with focusing on and pining on these things that we don't have and becoming discontent when we don't have them is it focuses only on the here and the now. It focuses only on the temporary. You think about the dash. Um, what is the dash? You know, in the cemeteries, there in the old, the older tombstones, there might have been a birth date, and then on the other side of that is the date of death, and in between is a little dash. And so that dash represents our life. From the time we're born to the time that we go back to be with the Lord is like this dash in the middle. And we put all of our focus on amassing all this wealth and this stuff and accumulating everything that we don't have. And it's just temporary because we can't take it with us when we go. You know what? All the stuff that we collect, all the money, the wealth that we build is going to go, shocker here, to somebody else. Right? So the question is, what will we leave besides stuff whenever we pass? What will we leave? What, what will we leave behind besides stuff? Because that focus just is on the temporary. I don't know about you, but I want to leave a legacy. I want to leave behind a legacy that far outlives me. Paul did it. We're reading this letter right now, right? Paul wrote some letters and it's still impacting the church today. It's what he left behind. I want to leave behind something that outlasts me on this earth. And so when we focus on the things that we don't have and we're discontent on those things, it focuses on the temporal, not the eternal. A third thing that it does is it obscures the simplicity of life. Listen to what he says. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. I mean, I, I'm thankful that all of you are clothed today. Chances are you probably ate something or you will as soon as church is over today. And he says if we have those things, Let us be content. Jesus talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. Don't worry about what you put on your body or what you eat. God loves the birds. He clothes the the lilies of the field. And aren't you so much more precious to him than they are, right? And so the problem with amassing all these things is the more we get, the more worried we are about losing it the more protective we are about, you know what, i got to protect my assets now. I've got all this stuff, and I don't want somebody to steal my stuff. And so we become so consumed in that, and it obscures or it makes it hard to see just that the simplest things in life are sometimes the best things in life, right? That's not the American culture. You're not going to hear that on the TV. But the reality is sometimes blessed is not what you got, but it's who you got. Amen. These people that don't have anything, they're like, man, I'm just content. I am blessed. I got Jesus, and that's all that matters to me. I've got food in my stomach. i got clothes on my, my body, and I'm just great, right? And so this desire to acquire gone haywire, I've heard somebody say before, this lust for more stuff, Can distract us and it obscures the simplicity of life. Listen to these quotes from millionaires. John D. Rockefeller once said, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Zero. Cornelius Vanderbilt added, The care of millions is too great a load. There is no pleasure in it. Millionaire John Jacob Astor described himself as the most miserable man on earth as a millionaire. Despite his wealth, Henry Ford once remarked, I was happier doing mechanics work. Another one by John D. Rockefeller, he says, the poorest man I know is the man who has nothing but money. I said, you can amass so much stuff that it obscures the simplest and the simplicity of life. Talking about contentment, I heard a story about a man that just came to another man. He says, you know, if I just had $1,000, I'd be content. The guy he was talking to had a lot of money and he had that in his pocket, and he's like, I've got tons of it, so I'm just gonna bless this guy and give him $1,000. And the man walks away and he's overheard from another friend saying, Man, I should have asked for $2,000. Isn't that just like us? Funny story on my daughter, Hannah. So, um, and I don't, I don't say that you need to do this, but we made a little deal in home. Um, if she brings home straight A's, um, you know, you reward them. I'm not saying you gotta do this, but this is how it works in the niece family. Um, and since so she's the baby, she gets by with that stuff, right? So, um, Dad, if I come home with straight A's, what are you willing to give me? So we made a deal a while back, and um, she sends me a picture. Hey, Dad, pay up. What she say? Shoddy. Pay up, shoddy. And I was like, all right, what do I owe you? And she says, like, 50 bucks is what we agreed on. And I was like, oh, I was willing to give you 100, but 50 sounds good. She says, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Isn't that our human nature? It's like to just want more acquire more stuff to just keep upgrading and keep upgrading and upgrading and sometimes the simplest things in life is just to know you know what I'm blessed I got a roof over my head I've got food in my body I've got clothes on my body I got friends around me that love me and I don't have a lot I ain't worried about losing it because I don't have anything to lose there's some blessing in that amen So that's what it does, and then there's the dangers that are associated with it as well. When you start pursuing that and you become hungry for being more rich or wealthy or stuff, look at verse 9. He says, but people who long to be rich, this is contrary to those that are content. So on the one side, you got people who are content. They're like, "Ah, life is good. I'm content. I'm just self-sufficient. I don't need a thing. And on the other side, you have people who long to be rich, or I'd say who long to have more stuff. He said, number one, they fall into temptation. And let me just tell you this, Satan knows what your bait is. People say, well, if I won the lottery, here's what I would do. Those other idiots, I don't know what they're doing, but if I won it, listen, Satan knows your, your bait, and he's good at throwing the right bait. And you can talk to many people who've won the lottery and said it's the worst thing that ever happened to them in their lives. So the reality is those who long to be rich, who seek after that stuff, he says they fall into temptation. And then he says, and they are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge, say plunge. So the word plunge means to be submerged, like in water. So you imagine you're walking along a dock, and all of a sudden you take a step, and the dock's no longer there, and you sink like a rock to the bottom. That's plunge. And he uses that imagery to say some people longing for money, they fall into temptation and then they are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into, listen to this, ruin, financial ruin, marital ruin, right? I mean, it plunges them into ruin and destruction because they're just chasing after something because they're not content with what they have. And he says, verse 10, for the love of money, notice he's not saying money is the root of all evil. It's the love, the the desire for more of it. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. People who have craved money, he says, even worse, have wandered from the true faith. Paul's addressing this with Timothy to a bunch of pastors who are teaching a bunch of false doctrine. And there are many people that have wandered from the true faith. And they had a show of godliness because they thought it was a means of wealth. And Paul's saying, no, 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 true wealth. True wealth. True riches is godliness with contentment. But there are some that have chased after these things and they've wandered far from the true faith and pierced themselves with many, many sorrows. I think we all probably know someone or have experienced ourselves the times when we've chased after those things and you see people that will do things that go completely against their moral convictions in the name of money. Maybe cheating, maybe lying, maybe engaging in some activity that is, you know, conduct unbecoming a follower of Christ because, man, the money was there and it just looked too tempting. And so I took it and they plunged themselves into ruin and destruction, pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Do we see the danger of discontent? Is what Timothy wants us to see. Paul through Timothy, the danger of discontent. So the question is, how do we find contentment? How do we, how do we avoid becoming discontent in a season of discontent? As followers of Christ, we're called to be content. We'll read on in verse eleven. It says, "But you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these evil things." He calls them evil. This just allure for money. Now I'm not saying that. To make good money is wrong. So I'm not, don't, don't hear me saying that. Like, oh, Shane just said it's wrong to be rich or to have money. No, no. But if you were to compare United States of America with third world countries, everyone in the room is rich, right? But it's this pursuit of, it's like I'm not content with where I'm at. And there's just this drive. Now, sometimes discontent is an okay thing. So I'm discontent with the lack of holiness in my life. And I just keep doing the same dumb things over and over again. And there's a holy discontent. That's Okay. Because it moves us to a place where we need to grow in our faith. And I'm okay with that discontent. And maybe for others, it may be they see something, an injustice in their community or in their workplace or, or whatever, and they just get discontent and, and unhappy and unsatisfied with what's going on. And they're moved to action to make change. Oh, that's another good discontent. But when it comes to the riches and just the, the, the things and the stuff, being discontent for what we don't have It can be very dangerous and it can cause us to fall into temptation and even ruin. We could take it beyond money and stuff and we can just say relationships. People that are discontent in a relationship have taken the bait of Satan and they've slipped into temptation and been trapped and ruined a marriage. Amen? So for us as followers of Christ, how do we find contentment? Well, we run from all these evil things. But like, you know what? I need to be content with the things that God has given me. I want to run from these evil things. And instead, pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance. It's interesting the word perseverance in that list, but check this out. Contentment also comes not because we overcome circumstances. Sometimes we're in the middle of a battle, and we think, man, when I overcome that circumstance, now I'm content again. It's not when we overcome the circumstances, but it's learning to be content in the circumstances. Because I have all I need in Christ, right? Are you with me so far? All right, so Paul, writing this letter, also wrote a letter to the Philippian church. In Philippians chapter 4, a very familiar passage. Um, here's what I want you to know. Contentment is a learned Behavior. Contentment has to be learned. It's not automatic. I could prove it. Watch this two kids playing in the living room floor with toys. One kid's playing with a toy and he's absolutely content, enjoying just the best day of his life, and someone walks in with a different toy that he doesn't have. And it's on, right? That's usually when you're breaking them up and you're saying, no, 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 we got to learn to share. It's not yours. You can't take that. It's just our, our, our behavior. It comes naturally to be a selfish people. And so to be content, we got to learn to be content. It really starts up here in the head. Amen? To not be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. To learn to be content with what we have. Paul said this in chapter 4. He's regarding the, the gifts that they started to bring to him again. He's on house arrest. He's in jail. Y'all. And so he writes this letter to the Philippian church, and he says, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. So for a while, the gifts had kind of dropped off, and Paul's in this house arrest, and he probably had needs, financial, um, material needs, um, but they finally started giving again, and, and now Paul's got some of the things that he needs. He says, I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again, and I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need. Listen to this. For I have learned. I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. The first thing that we need to know, finding contentment It is a learned behavior. It'll never come naturally, but just to say, God, I have everything I need in you, and you've blessed me, and you've taken care of me, and if I never reach the top rung of that ladder, corporately speaking, or that, that other digit on the end of my financial portfolio, I can be content with who I am And with what I have. Amen? It's a learned behavior. So that's the first thing. And second, I say, what is the source of contentment? So we see this all the time. People are just trying to find this peace or contentment in life. and, And they fill this hole with everything but Christ. And they think, if I just have enough money, then I'll be happy. And they get the money. And I just read you the quotes about all these millionaires that said, that ain't it. Well, maybe i got the wrong spouse, so if I just leave this one and go to another one, then that will make me happy. And they're like, oh, no, that was a wrong choice. Or if I just had the newer car or a newer house or a newer job, and we go on and on and on and on. And they have this hole that they're trying to fill with all this stuff. And they think that's the source of contentment. But the source, the true source of contentment, Paul continues on in Philippians 4. He says, I know how to live on almost nothing. So he had times in his life we he had nothing. And he said, and I also know how to live on everything. So he had times when he had abundance. So if you're keeping track, Paul's talking about contentment. I've learned to be content in everything. I've had nothing and I've had a lot. And he says, I have learned. Here it is again, the word learned. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, and here's the verse that we so often quote, and sometimes out of its context, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. You realize the context of that verse is in contentment? I mean, I've learned the secret, and the secret is Christ. He is my source, and if you got Jesus, church, you got everything you need. He's all we need. And if we can learn to be content in Christ, God, you're the one that opens the doors. You bless me. You show me favor. And I thank you for all of those things. But I want to pursue you, number one, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things that we worry about will be added to us. But my goal is to put him first and not stuff first. Amen? That's where we get in trouble when we get those flipped around and we start focusing on stuff and our desire to acquire and the secret to Contentment is knowing who the source of that is, and that is Christ. Everything that you could ever need, everything that you could ever desire in this life is found in Christ and in Christ alone. He's the only one that will fill that hole in your life. Hear me screaming that because many people, they'll try drugs, they'll try relationships, they'll try hobbies, they'll try everything they can, success, and at the end of life, they're just feeling empty. Can I just tell you, there's only one person that can fill that hole, and it's Christ Jesus. So to know the source of contentment, to find it, is to know that it's a learned behavior, you learn to be content. It's taking stock of what you have. There's the old hymn that we used to sing, count your blessings, name them one by one. It may surprise you what the Lord hath done, right? We need to learn to count our blessings, to focus on the things that we do have, to be thankful for the things that we do have, rather than the things that we, we don't. So there's, Learned behavior, if you will. The source of contentment is not stuff, but Christ. And I would go back to our passage in First Timothy, and I would say that one thing that helps us in learning to be content and holding on loosely to the stuff that we so desperately want to acquire is generosity. Yes, I said it. Generosity. If we are godlike, as in godliness... How many know God is a benevolent God? God is a generous God. Grace upon top of grace. We didn't deserve it, but he shows us his grace. He, he has given us the riches of heaven through the gospel, this priceless inheritance set up for us in heaven. That's, that's pretty good stuff, right? And, and so... To be able to say, you know what, I I think I'm a little too attached to stuff. So, God, give me a, a spirit of generosity. Help me to just have an attitude where I'm willing to turn loose of some of those things that may have a hold of me. And in so doing, how many of you know Jesus said it is better to give than to? How many of you have experienced that? You know, someone was in need or something came up, that moved your heart, and you're like, man, this is a sacrifice, and I was moved beyond my heart to my checkbook, if you will, or cash, and you you went and you did it, and you saw a difference that it made in someone's life, and you know how that feels. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Learn to practice generosity when we are generous with the things that God gives to us, not hoarding it, worried that we're going to lose it all. It demonstrates a great faith that he is our source. And we're content in him, and that stuff doesn't have a hold on us, right? So he says, teach those who are rich in this world. And as I said a moment ago, compared to the third world countries, every one of us in this room are rich. Do you feel like it? You're like Shane. I looked at my checkbook this morning, I am not rich. Yes, you are. You probably drove here in a car. And a lot of people don't have that. You, you look nice. You have nice clothes on. There's a lot of people that don't have that. You probably were able to eat something healthy this morning or not but you were able to eat there's a lot of people that don't have that and so I think that we can all agree that we would fit into this category those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant not to be proud of our lot in life or to proud of the stuff that we have but it says and not to trust in their money which is so unreliable amen it is unreliable Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment. I love that that's there. You know what? He says, everything that we need for our enjoyment, God has freely given us, richly given us. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being able to share with others or ready to share with others. By doing this, here's the the promise and the reward. They will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Listen, you can't take it with you when you go. What will you leave when this life is over? You can leave a, a, a legacy and you can make a difference in other people's lives. And in so doing, he says, you lay up for yourselves rewards that go beyond this life. That sounds like a great deal, doesn't it? So church, hear me on this whole contentment thing, I struggle with this. I might or might not have an addiction to Milwaukee tools. I'm just going to put that out there. But they're really cool. (laughs) There's a dude driving one around town. It's red. It says Milwaukee. I said, Rachel, I think I'm going to buy that truck. I was just messing with her. But, I mean, we all fall into that, right? We all, these things, like you get one, you're like, that's cool, but I really need this one too. And then you keep on and you keep on and you keep on we could easily fall into that same trap. And if we're not careful, it can kind of give us a sour attitude and we can kind of get us to have a negative attitude and we're walking around in a season that should be a season of joy, a season of thanksgiving, a season of generosity, right? The reason for the season is Jesus. There's a lot of people worried about their stuff on shipping containers out in the middle of the ocean right now, right? (laughs) That's where your car parts are at, by the way. And your computer chips. But we're worried about that stuff. And it's like, you know what? What if we just had a Christmas this year and we said, hey, I just want to have the family together, share a meal together, and love on each other. Would that be okay? Culturally? What are you, crazy, Shane? No. we got to have toys and presents. and No, 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 no. What if this pandemic or this, you know, shipping catastrophe, what do you want to call it, makes us have to do something different and refocus our attention and be content with what we have? Re-gift something for a kid. They won't know. Just go in the closet, find it, re-gift it, give it to them again. Wow! Right? Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9 says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be fooled and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Contentment for the Christian, I believe being satisfied with what we have and who we are, being content with what we have to so we're not saying, I gotta have these other things. I think that just blesses God and, and I just want us to be careful during this season as we get so caught up in the craziness. You know, I shouldn't have been after Thanksgiving? Maybe, but I know how we are. And it's like we got one day of giving thanks to God. And it's like Black Friday starts in 20 minutes. I know how we are. And so be mindful of this that godliness, that is living God like lives and living lives of righteousness with contentment, self satisfied, I have all I need, God, that is true gain. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, for the reminder this morning on contentment, and that we are to be a content people. We get so distracted like the rest of the world, and we wring our hands, and we, uh, we pine after or long for the things that this world has to offer, and the marketers and the advertisers know this, and they're very good at what they do. And so, Father, I pray that today you would just help us to be aware, Lord, that when we have that awareness of the things that we, we we have and we're content with, when that becomes redirected to the things that we don't, and we're tempted to kind of just be in a funk or to be negative and, and down on our, our lot in life, God, I pray that you would remind us that our true contentment comes from you, that you are the source of contentment, that we would know that if we have you, we have it all. Father, I pray that there be anyone here today, maybe they experience that, they're like, I've tried to fill this hole and fill this hole with everything and I realize that today, the only thing that's going to truly satisfy, the only thing that's going to quench that thirst or it's going to fill that void in my life is a personal relationship with Christ. Gotta pray that if that's them today, that today would be the day they trust you for salvation. know for the rest of us, as we model this to our kids and to our other brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would be a content people. We'll have a smile on our face. That we won't be discouraged like the, the rest of the world is discouraged sometimes when we don't get the things that we think we need but, Lord, that we can truly demonstrate our trust and hope in you by living a content life. And it's not to say that it's wrong to get stuff. Lord, I'm not saying that. And you bless us with those things. But it really comes down to priority. Is it the stuff or is it you? And Lord, help us to make you number one. You're our focus. You are our source. Help us to learn the secret of being content in all situations. And I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.